0: You are a founding partner. You launched it along with your partners, this consultancy in February of 2016. What was the inspiration back then behind founding We Scale Impact? My fellow founders and I,
1: and there are three of us were are the founding partners, the three of us had all founded and worked in social enterprises for several years. And we were thinking about how we could continue to call it give back, call it positively impact the world. One approach would, of course, have been to go on and found a new social enterprise or continue to scale the ones that we had already founded and grow them to be bigger. But after several discussions and phone calls, we decided, at least for the three of us, that we felt the best opportunity and the way to have even more impact positively on our world was to found WeScale Impact as a consulting firm to help other social entrepreneurs grow and scale their own businesses and their own organizations. Again, I use the word business and organization somewhat interchangeably, even though some of them will and have been nonprofits. We felt that using our experience, we could work with generally younger, less experienced founders or executives at social enterprises and share our knowledge, share our basically pains and answers that we had gone through trying to grow our own enterprises, and that that way we could multiply the impact that we might be able to have as any individuals by basically helping to train and share that knowledge and those skills with many other social entrepreneurs. It kind of sounds like to me like Rent-A-Mentor. It is to an extent. In fact, one of our core offerings is that we act as coaches or mentors to founders and executive teams of social enterprises, where we will meet with them on a monthly or sometimes biweekly basis, often virtually, because they may be located in a different place than we are, to help guide them and share with them. And we're usually very clear that we are not there to always give them a single answer and make them take it, so to speak. We're not a doctor in that respect where we're giving them a prescription and saying, take this and you'll definitely be better. And if you don't take this, you'll continue to be in a worse strait. Rather, our approach is to train and teach. So we tell them, we will share our advice. We will give you recommendations, but it is up to you to decide whether to implement those, whether it's right for you, And if you don't take our advice, we're not going to get mad. We're basically going to say, that's okay, because you've grown even in your thinking and the way you've analyzed the situation to determine if that advice is worthwhile or not for you. So, kind of skills transfer, I would say, or education is a core part of our philosophy and the way that we approach working with
0: clients or
1: what we call beneficiaries.
0: Got it. Could you give us an example? Alden, of one or more of your clients, what they're doing and how you may have helped them, helped guide them. Sure. Happy to. So
1: an example of an organization I recently worked with was an e-commerce startup in Africa. And people might say, well, e-commerce really, how is that improving society? Well, their model is to get foreign living relatives of their customers to purchase product and then they ship it and deliver it to people's homes in Africa. And often this is food, which is obviously critically important, and food-related things. So I was helping them to think through their long-term strategy. How should they be approaching the purchasers who live outside of Africa more to be more efficient? But also a lot of it was working with them to think about their operations. How can they be more efficient in their warehousing, their shipping, the selection of their products, for example, in order to be able to reach more beneficiaries, more of their customers, and deliver better products to them. All of this was done by video call or by email. I did not travel to visit them in Africa at all during the entire project, and it was a an eight month long project where we met every two to four weeks, depending on the cycle, in order to give them advice, and typically it was a one to two hour call. So that type of coaching or mentorship is a very common model in what we do.
0: What percentage of social enterprises, Alden, are self-funded versus those that may need to raise money? I guess what we would call like seed funding from angel investors. I don't have any hard numbers on the percentages, but I would say that the
1: majority of social enterprises do take some form of outside capital to either start up or at least to grow. However, much of that capital is often coming in the form of donations, grants, or those types of non-recourse often or non-equity sharing contributions. So a lot of the grants will come from foundations or sometimes from governmental or quasi-governmental aid agencies. And so that's a lot of the capital going into the field. My feeling, again, I don't have any hard numbers on this, but my feeling is that probably about 50% though, or roughly half of social enterprises at some point will take in external capital that is either in the form of debt that they have to repay, or in fact, in terms of equity sharing so that the investor actually owns part of the business or the organization going forward. But that 50%, that's just a really a gut feeling rough guess. I don't have any hard numbers on that.
0: And do you think that the money is going to be tighter today than it was a year ago?
1: I definitely think money will get tighter now. I think with the global recession caused by the COVID pandemic, that you'll see restrictions on capital, both from the what I'll call investor side, again, those lending or actually buying into a business, and from the grant funder donor side. I think there's going to be a tremendous reduction in available capital to all these enterprises and that's really unfortunate but I do think that will be the situation probably for the next few years. I don't think this is a short-term couple of months reduction. I think it's a multi-year reduction. My hope is it would be much shorter, but I my current outlook is that it will be longer.
0: Mm. So in light of that What advice do you have for our young listeners who may want to work for a social enterprise? How can they go about finding the ones that might be hiring now? Are there listservs? Are there websites where they might find those entry-level jobs or perhaps even internships? So I think, first of all, one of the things to keep in mind is this field does not pay well
1: and with less capital available, it will probably pay even less, unfortunately. So I think for those who are looking to enter this field, they need to understand that this is an industry that you enter because you're passionate about having an impact and improving the world, and that you can make a reasonable living at it, I'm not saying you can't, but it's not a field where you're going to go and suddenly be wealthy even after many years of work. With that in mind, I think that advice I would give to early stage career aspirants is to first narrow down the area of social enterprise that you might be interested in. Is it education? Is it agriculture? Is it sanitation? Is it medicine or health? Because they're fairly different areas in terms of industries, how they work, the skills they may look for, and the roles they may offer. And then on top of that, I would add geography. Is the individual looking to work in the U.S.? Are they looking to work in Latin America, look in Africa, look in Asia? Each of those will have different, of course, requirements, from a visa and immigration perspective or work permit issue, potentially, but also will offer different aspects culturally, and they could require different language skills. Then they've just narrowed it down to, broadly, industry and geography. Then they can begin, in my opinion, to look at what are specific job opportunities Unfortunately, I'm not aware of a good global system to sort that through. There are regional listservs, there are regional contacts that exist or regional networks that exist, again, often by industry, but most of the jobs in this field tend to be found either through word of mouth or personal contacts and networks, as similar with many other industries, or... They favor hiring people who are already local to their geography, their city even. And then each city has its own job boards and things of that sort. So I think that makes it more difficult. someone's Even if they're willing to relocate to a new city, they may have to tap into something that is specific to that city. They'd have to learn about it just to find it.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. If you want to listen to our entire caffeinated career conversation, please check out the show notes for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at